when I look at this, there's a principle in the scriptures that lends itself uh, well to the office of the pastor and the deacon, but also to the house of God. And, uh, and I think there's some general principles here that God spoke to Timothy uh, through Paul and said, Timothy, listen, here's some things I want you to share with the people. And as I shared with you in time past, God has a principle in the scriptures in 1 Corinthians 14, 40, that all things be done decently and in order. God desires for things to be done in an orderly fashion. And we know that our God is a God of order. You can go all the way back to the time of creation. You can see God is a God of order. The setting up of the tabernacle, the setting up of the temple, uh, you know, just the moving of the children through the wilderness wanderings. You can see God is a God of order, and we can see that happening. And so God is a God of order, and he has a way that he wants things done, and he has a way that he wants things run, and he's clear about it. You know, when you go in and you think about the tabernacle and the temple from the building materials, to the use of those things, uh, to, the, to the office of the priest, and all the way up to and including the offerings in Exodus and Leviticus, God had a particular way he wanted things done. And so what makes us think that his house today, the church house, would be any less important to him, the one whom his son died for. And so think about how important it is that we run things according to the scriptures and we do things according to the scriptures. And I think he's given some New Testament saints a place of worship and he wants us to bring glory to his name. So how we do things is important. A lot of churches, uh, uh, you know, I hear this, you're just majoring on the minors or, uh, you know, you need to be more open to things. You're not culturally relevant. I want to tell you the Bible is the most culturally relevant thing that we have in our country today. Amen. It's more relevant than our Constitution uh, because our Constitution was based off of the Word of God. And so we have a very relevant book in front of us. Uh, what they mean by relevance is we don't feel like doing that anymore, so it's no longer relevant. And that's really what they mean by what they say. However, the Word of God does not cease to be relevant in our society today. And we can see <coughs> even Washington, D.C. could use a, a dose of the, of the Scriptures, amen, and uh, to really get things back on track. So here's what I want to challenge you with, though. Think about this tonight. Consider the spirit of your heart when you're in the community, when you're out in the community. And, and folks, listen, you are a Christian. Therefore, you're an ambassador for Christ. You represent Him, but you also represent this particular local body of believers. So how you behave, things you do, things you say, how you behave toward people in the community, listen, that is relevant to the ministry here. And it's not like we're in a metropolis. We are in a small community. Amen. I want you to know I can walk in places. I went over here to CarQuest. They know who I am. And they go, yes, you're the pastor over at, and I mean, they know me before I know them. And so I want you to know that when you tell people that you're from Calvary, I want to maintain a good testimony. <laughs> I want us to have a great testimony in our community. So how you behave in the community matters. But listen, also, I want you to think about your spirit in the church house. What's my attitude like? Imagine that you come into the house of God. He wants to bless you today, and you just have a bad spirit today. You have a nasty countenance about you. How's God going to work with that? And your attitude and your heart and your spirit are not right. And, and listen, take a moment, just stop and say, Lord, forgive me. My attitude and my spirit are not right right now. And I need you to change my attitude, my heart. I need you to change it because it matters what happens in here. And by the way, the Holy Spirit resides in us, amen? And we're a body of believers, you know? Uh, one without the other doesn't operate well. We will operate as a body. So if you come in and you have a nasty spirit, that's affecting the body. 
And so it's just like having a, a, a bad sore finger. Uh, anybody ever get an infected finger, especially like your index finger? Anybody ever have that happen to you? And you don't realize how important this index finger is until it's extremely sore. Are you with me now? And everything you go to do, it's like, ow, ow, right? Until you get that infection out, right? And even after you get the infection out, it's still a little sore, isn't it? Anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> get that sore finger. And, and the thing of it is, it's very painful, isn't it? Well, when you come in and you're infected, <laughs> it's hurting the body. And so you need to consider your attitude, your spirit, when you're in the house of the Lord. And if it's not good, ask God to take it away. By the way, he will. Amen. He'll help you with it. He'll remove it from you. So here's the thought. Consider your spirit and your heart when you're in the community or while in church. And what we find here is Timothy talking to the folks. And he's saying this is how you ought to behave in God's house. And we are told and must be reminded that this is the house of the living God. We're not serving a dead God. We're serving a living God. So how's your spirit around the living God? What's your attitude like around a God who is alive? Not a dead God, not a dead idol, a living God. What's your attitude? What's your spirit like? And I think we've got a couple of foundational principles here that we want to look at and in, in, in living for uh, God the way that we should. First of all, he tells us that the pillar and ground of truth is the house of the living God. It's the pillar and ground of truth. And secondly, he reminds us that there's a mystery, the mystery of godliness. And I want to talk about those two things tonight, two foundational principles that he was trying to impart this knowledge to Timothy. And so he brings them out here. And the first is the pillar and the ground of truth. I think Paul was planning on returning to the church uh, that Timothy pastored. And soon he told this, his, his young disciple that if he did not arrive soon, here's some foundational instructions for you. Here's some Here's some very basic principles that you need to be aware of. And so Timothy was Paul's disciple. And there are three specific details that Paul emphasized to this young pastor. And the pastor has a responsibility to the Lord and to the members of the local bodies of believers to teach them the word of God. And when I share that with you, I have a great responsibility. Do you want a pastor who comes in on Sunday that hasn't studied all week and then comes in and tries to give you something spiritual? How do you think that's going to work out? That's not going to be very good for you, is it? And what you want is you want a man who's going to study the Word of God and be prepared to bring forth the Word of God to you. And, and listen, uh, when I go and I hear preaching, I want to get something out of it. I want to hear something that's going to nourish me up in the words of faith. So you want somebody that's going to come in and study. And he tells this young uh, pastor, he said, now listen, you have a responsibility to tell these people how they ought to be busy themselves and how they ought to live. He said, let me tell you what you're supposed to do, Timothy. You need to get this message across to them. And so the house of God, that phrase is in essence the household of God. And I want you to understand this. When I say a body of believers, this is a family. Whether we like it or not, we're a family. And sometimes families have problems, do they not? And yet we need to work it out inside the family. We need to make sure that we understand that a church is a family of God. And by the way, we're going to be in heaven as a family. Amen. We're all part of the family of God. But here on this earth, this local body of believers, this assembly here, we need to work together as a family. And so we need to help one another and encourage one another and strengthen one another. And he's telling them that the importance of us being a family and how we should act and how we should present ourselves to others and to the community. There's a proverb and my dad, I never heard him say this proverb, but I heard the principle come out of him. Proverbs 22.1. Proverbs 22.1. It says, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. 
And my dad made it a point to each one of us as we were growing up. He said, now listen, it has cost me a lot to get my good name. When you go out there, don't you mess it up. Now I tell you, I felt pressure as a kid. I was thinking, what am I going to do to mess it up, Dad? So I had an older brother who had uh, some mental problems, and uh, he, he was, uh, we used to call it mental retardation, and, and, and yet my brother, he was like a kleptomaniac. And he carried our name in the community. <laughs> and one of the things he would do is he'd go steal bicycles from people all the time. And my dad, <laughs> my dad would have to get him in the car and take him back to take these bicycles back to these people all the time. And I don't know what was wrong with my brother, but I just know that he would just steal the bikes. Now, why he did it, I have no idea. I'd go out in the yard, and I thought, man, this is great. Got new bikes all, every week. I got a new bike. And, uh, and, and so, but he was stealing them from people, and my dad got upset about it. My dad had such a good name in our community that what would happen is, is my brother, my dad used to collect silver, old silver dollars and all that kind of stuff. And he had a little safe in the house, and he used to put all those in there and that kind of thing. Well, somehow or another, my brother got into that. And he went out into the community, and he began to spend my dad's silver. And the merchants in the town knew my dad. One of them picked up the phone and called and said, Hey, Robert, listen, I just want you to know. <laughs> your son's up here spending your silver. He said, I'll sell it back to you for the face value of it if you want it back. But he's up here spending it all over town. And, and, and my dad used to get so frustrated. But I want to tell you something. They understood that my brother had a problem. They didn't put that onus on my dad. But the fact is, is my dad went around and cleaned it up because he wanted to maintain a good name. I believe my Father in Heaven has a great name. Amen. And one of the things we ought to try to do is not mess it up. When we go out into the community, we ought to help maintain a good name. For our Father in Heaven, for our family in our church, for Calvary Chapel. Are you with me? We need to maintain a good name. And so when you think about it, a good name is rather being chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver gold. My dad made it a point. He said, do not ruin what I've worked hard to establish. I want you to know our Heavenly Father worked so hard to establish it that he gave his only begotten son for that name. That is the name you carry. When you say that you're a Christian... You are telling people that you're an ambassador for Christ. You're a part of his family, so how are you behaving? What's your attitude? What's your spirit like? Then I'm reminded of the fact that our Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ, has a testimony. And as a child, I should want to maintain that testimony for his sake. I should want to maintain that. I should not want to destroy it. I should want to maintain it. So he's telling Timothy here, he said, uh, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar, of the ground, uh, pillar and ground of truth. And so what is truth? We're saying, therefore, Pastor Timothy, you have this responsibility. And I'm saying as a pastor, I have a responsibility to tell you, I don't want to hear bad things about people in our church. I don't want to hear bad or poor testimonies about people in Calvary. And, and if I do, I will come ask you about it. I'm not going to confront you in the sense that you've done wrong, because sometimes people out in the community will say stuff that just isn't true as well. But I at least want to address it with you. And what you have to realize is when you go out in the community, you have a testimony that you need to maintain. 
And so what is your attitude? What is your spirit like when you're out there? Paul then wants Timothy to help the people understand that their God is not an inanimate object, but a God who is alive, and therefore his church must worship him as a living God. God is not dead. God is alive. Jesus Christ is alive. We're not worshiping a dead idol. We're worshiping a living God. You have the Holy Spirit in you, and so whenever you go out, I want you to kind of get a hold of this, and I've mentioned this to you before. <clears throat> I think I used uh, an illustration here. I had Chris stand beside me, and I said, if, if, if you were walking, imagine Jesus Christ in the flesh standing right beside you. Would there be some things that you would not do by his presence right beside you? And I want you to consider that the Holy Spirit does reside in you. Amen? So I want you to think about this when you get to that point where you're going to make that angry statement or you're going to say some angry words or you're going to do something that opposes God's standards. <laughs> I want you to consider for just a moment, Jesus Christ is with you. Does he want to go against God's word? No. And so I have the Holy Spirit residing in me and so as far as my testimony, I want to make sure that it glorifies him and doesn't destroy the testimony of my Savior. For it's not just my testimony, it's his testimony that he gave to me. And so I need to consider my testimony. So the church is in the community, and as such, we ought to behave as if the Lord's standing next to us wherever we go. The phrase, the pillar and ground of truth, is something that the people, I think, really understood. This place at Ephesus, they used to worship the dead idol, Diana. So there were statues and pillars all over the place with his statues there. You know, how, how many of you have ever been to Washington, D.C.? Anybody been down there? You go down, what's it, what's it feel like the first time you walk up to some of those monuments? Is it not an awe factor? Like, wow. And, and you walk up to some of those monuments. I remember the first time I went to the, the Jefferson Memorial, I went at night and, and it was lit up. And I mean, it was just... Walking up there, you're like, wow. So these people in Ephesus had these pillars and these statues of Diana. They were worshiping a dead idol. And so whenever he talks about, Paul makes this statement to Timothy that this is the pillar and ground of truth, those people understood exactly what he was talking about. And so what I mean by that is this. The pillar, the aspect of the church ministry is to display the truth of the word of God. Just like a statue of Diana is put on a pedestal so all can see it, we need to put Christ on a pedestal so all can see it through us. He needs to be seen in us. And so when you look to the scriptures, Paul wanted Timothy to help the people understand that you must hold forth the word of life. And why is that? So the world can see it. When you're out in the community, can they see Christ in you? <laughs> can people actually know that you're a Christian by your attitude, by your actions, by your behavior? Or would you almost be embarrassed after you've done something to tell people that you go to Calvary Chapel? <laughs> That's okay. Don't do it if you do something dumb, okay? <laughs> don't tell them you go here. <laughs> but the thing of it is, is that we just don't want to get that way, do we? We ought to have such a testimony that they turn to you and you say, well, I go to Calvary Chapel. Really? And they are drawn to God because of your testimony, because of how you're behaving, because of the things that you're doing. Paul wants Timothy to help the people to understand this. Philippians 2.16, you can write this down. <coughs> Philippians 2.16, the Bible says, holding forth the word of life. Holding forth the word of life. 
I, I want you to know that you're, this body that we possess, this vessel here, it ought to be a testimony to people. How you behave, how you act, the things you say, the things that you do, where you go, all the things that you're involved in, you ought to have a testimony that would bring glory to the name of your Savior. And listen, there are times where we get involved in things or we're doing things or behaving in a way that does not honor God. We were talking uh, tonight, Emily and I were talking on the way to church. I said, do you understand that one of the most important things that you can do is honor your mother and your father? Isn't that important, ladies? Isn't it important that the children learn to honor their mother and their father? They don't understand sometimes that their actions and things that they do can dishonor the home. And they need to be conscientious of that. And I think there's no problem with putting a little bit of pressure there. Would you agree? That, you know, you need to do the honorable thing. You need to do things right. And we need to put some of that pressure back onto our children, that they need to behave in a fashion and in a manner that brings honor to the household, brings honor. Listen, it tells them that they ought to honor their mother and their father. They ought to honor their mom and dad. They ought to do that. And when they don't, there ought to be conviction in their heart that they are not honoring their mother and their father. How many of you agree with that tonight? Amen? There ought to be some conviction there. And, and, and what it is is that we need the power of the Holy Spirit to do that work. And when people have no conscience toward that, sometimes they need to check it out and see if they're saved. Because if you have no conscience toward that, where are you? So us as Christians, if we would want that from our children, how much more does your Father in Heaven want it from you when you're out in the community? He wants you to behave in a fashion that would honor Him, wouldn't it? That would bring glory to His name. Now, the local church puts Jesus Christ on display in the lives of faithful members and for a community to see Christ on display through their behavior. <clears throat> and so they understood the pillar and the ground of truth. They saw these statues, these dead idols, this Diana. They saw that out in the community. And so Paul is imparting this knowledge to Timothy, and he said, Hey, listen, you are the pillar and the ground of truth. And, and so tell the people this, that that's how they ought to behave. That's what their life ought to demonstrate and display. And so this is the reason to take a stand on the truth for the house of the living God, which is the pillar of the ground and truth. And the positions we hold needs to come from the word of God. Now listen to me. My pastor shared this with me many, many times. It's good to have a position, and our position needs to be biblical. Amen? But do you know what's just as important as our disposition, how we share that with people? And so if I have a bad attitude about it, it doesn't help, does it? So our position needs to be we're going to stand on the word of God. Agree? Amen. We're going to stand on the truth of the Word of God. My disposition is, how am I saying what I say? And, and so make sure that I don't have an angry spirit in me when I'm trying to talk to people about the Word of God. Don't be angry, just be truthful. And I think we need to stand on that truth. So be aware of the spirit of your heart, your attitude and your behavior out in the community, and even when you're walking into the church of the living God. What's your attitude like? This is what he's trying to help Timothy do. And so our life holds the secret of how to live for God as well. When you look at this, he says here <clears throat> in verse 16, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Great is that, 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 that secret. But listen, our life is that display. We're going to now 
take that which was once secret and now make it open. And how does that occur? So the challenge to Timothy was for him to hold the truth and then to challenge the members to hold the truth and to bring it before the people. And here's what I want to challenge us with. Don't compromise on truth. Don't compromise on truth. I want you to know that since I've been here, some of the other churches that are kind of close to us challenge me all the time and say that the reason things aren't going the way they should is because I'm not culturally relevant now. And I want you to know this is culturally relevant. Amen. And I'm going to preach this because some of that stuff will come and go, but this will stand forever. Amen. 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 And, and I want you to just stand on the truth of the word of God. Don't give up on God's word because a world says you ought to. Amen. What happened that day there in, in the wilderness is, is when Moses went up to the mount and they thought he was gone too long, they thought he wasn't coming back, they rose up and began to do what? Play. They were without their leader. And so listen to me. God is our leader. Jesus Christ is our leader. He is not dead. He's alive. We hold that mystery. Amen. And we need to reveal that to a lost and dying world. And so God wants us to maintain truth. Now, here's what they want you to believe, that you have to change everything about you so that you become culturally relevant to reach people. I want you to know Jesus Christ saves. Amen. And he get, you get saved through the word of God, not by my music program. You get saved by the word of God. And I'm not saying we don't need good things and good music and good things happening inside the church. But people aren't going to get saved through a music program. They're going to get saved by the word of God. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. How do people get saved? Through Jesus Christ. If we get named for anything, I want them to say they're down there just talking about Jesus all the time. Praise the Lord. And that's what we're known for. As we look into the word of God, he said we are not to compromise on the truth of God's word. And Paul stated that the gospel truth is not about controversy. For it is without controversy, confessing, admitting that it is a great mystery of godliness. This is just the fact that the word of God brings out the best in people. And it also reveals sin. <laughs> right? And what a wonderful thing. There were many times that my pastor would have me read something. And I go and I'd read it, and I'd say, Pastor, this is what's happening to me. And he goes, I know. He said, that's why I had you read it. <laughs> and, and, and sometimes you go in and you read, and it reveals something that's not right in our lives. And what will it do? Well, it'll help me get better. For it is profitable, is it not? Amen. Under doctrine. I, I mean, it's profitable. It's there for me to help me get better at what I'm doing. And I've shared this with you. This place is like a hospital, <laughs> And you come here because your sin's sick and you need to get better. That's why you want people to come to church. There is not a single solitary person in here that's perfect. If you are, you're in heaven. Amen? And we are sin sick and we need help. And where are we going to find it? We're going to find it in the Word of God. And then as we find this help, we can then reach out to others and help them, can we not? And we want to help folks. And this is a a living manner that it's a life, not being argumentative, but living in the silence of the holiness of God, the piety, meaning that our life and our lifestyle, our way of living should, through even our silence, show people the revealed secret of Christ. We ought to live our faith, amen? And I don't sometimes have to say anything. We just want our faith to be revealed. And, and how do you do that? You do that through love and kindness, you do that through reaching out to people. You continue to invite them. 
I haven't stopped inviting all these people that are on that list. I haven't stopped inviting any of them. By the way, God blessed. Uh, we, we got uh, Casey uh, Spence to go to Cornerstone Baptist Church, Brother Walt Shepherd's place. Amen. So he, he, he went to Brother Shepherd's place. I'm going to find out what happened. Casey professes salvation. But we've had plenty come through here too, haven't we? Don't stop praying for them. Say, well, they haven't come back. You know, might as well. No, 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 no. That's exactly what the devil wants you to do. We want to maintain a good testimony. So if you go get your hair cut and you decide you want to go up there, go see Karen. Get your hair cut. Go talk to her. Say, hey, we were so glad you came. Go talk to her again. Amen. Ask her if she'd like to come. Don't give up on the Drexlers. I'm going after them. Just keep praying for these things. Don't stop just because you don't see, you know, that kind of McDonald mentality. I ordered it at the little speaker. It should be ready by now, right? 30 seconds have gone by. Where is it? You know, and we get like that, don't we? God doesn't operate on that. By the way, God's not in a hurry either. God wants to do some things. He wants to do some work in our lives. Now, let me give you a couple of things to think about. Paul then reminds Timothy and all of us about who Christ Jesus is. To emphasize how he lived, the message he left, and the example we should follow to show the mystery of the godliness set to a lost world. And he says in this verse, he said, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Now watch this. He just rattles off some things. And we can just look this over. We can just look at it and go, yeah, that was, that was pretty. God was manifest in the flesh. That's some powerful stuff, wasn't it? Underline that in your Bible. How did God come down? God was manifest in the flesh. Now watch this. He was justified in the spirit. He was seen of angels. He was preached unto the Gentiles. He was believed on in the world and received up into glory. <laughs> There's a lot in that verse, isn't there? You could preach a message on every one of those, just one message on every one of those subjects. And Paul just kind of lets loose. And God was manifest in the flesh. This is Christ coming down to man, revealing God to man. And as the child of God, we're to display Christ to man as well. When you go in and read John chapter 1 and you go on through, Christ is the word, is he not? And we're to hold forth the word of what? Faith. So you think about it, we're holding forth the word. What are we really holding forth then? We're holding forth Christ Jesus, are we not? And what we have a responsibility to do is to bring that message out to others. <coughs> think about this. Not only was he manifest in the flesh, it says he was justified in the spirit. And I thought about how Jesus remained innocent, even in the midst of all the trials he faced. And all the things that happened to him, his behavior, even though he was mistreated, he was mocked, he was tormented, he left it for an example for us. Now, I, I want you to see these passages firsthand because I really want you to get a hold of what we have a responsibility to do. I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. And if he was justified in the spirit, Jesus maintained uh, this innocence and he was an example to you and me. 1 Peter 1 and uh, 21. Make sure I'm in the right place. For even hereunto, is that where we are? 1 Peter 1, 21 through 24, maybe it's 2 Peter. Let me make sure I got this right. Maybe it's 2 Peter 1. Chapter 2, there we go. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, 21. Everybody with me? 
I just need to get to where I need to be, right? Verse 21. For even hereunto were ye called. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example. That ye should follow his, what? Steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. I want you to get a hold of that for just a moment, because he goes on in verse 23, uh, or in verse 24, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. What it says here uh, in verse 21, for even hereunto were ye called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his what? Steps. Now I want you to think about this. He was justified in the spirit. He was mistreated. He was mocked, was he not? He was beaten. He was bruised. He was battered. He was done all those things too. And in addition to that, he took our sin upon him and died for us. Now here's the thing. When I read this in Peter or in Timothy, and he says, God was manifest of the flesh and justified in the spirit. Jesus remained innocent even when he was being mistreated. How many of us feel like we have to justify ourselves when we're being mistreated? When he was reviled, he reviled what? Not again. He didn't open his what? He didn't open his mouth. He didn't say anything. But we feel the need to do this. Now, let me tell you when it's bad, when you're out there especially. It's bad when you do it in here. It's really bad when you do it out there. Because you give forth a poor testimony of Jesus Christ when you do that. And what we want to challenge ourselves with is to give forth a good testimony, right? When you have a nasty spirit and you talk nasty to a waiter or waitress because you don't like the way things went, (laughs) are you with me? And I'm not saying not to comment, not to say, hey, listen, you know, but can I do it in a way that's not nasty? Can I do it in a way that would please the Lord? It's okay to say something. It's okay to, to challenge someone with the way maybe you were treated or what have you. But you don't have to do it in an angry spirit. You don't have to behave that way. And the reason that we don't is because we hold that mystery, don't we? It, it's a secret that can be revealed through us by the way we live, by the way we act, by the way we behave. It says here, when... When he was suffering, he suffered, leaving us an example that we might follow in his steps. So what are the steps? Well, some of these steps that he took was uh, he, he did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. When you've been done wrong, remember this. You're not the judge. He is. So when you've been done wrong, You don't have to uh, justify yourself. You are justified in Christ Jesus. Amen. He's the innocent one. And be careful that we don't feel like we have to vindicate ourselves in some fashion all the time. And even as believers, we get that attitude. We get that spirit that we have to do that. So he was justified in the spirit. He was seen of angels. 
I find that interesting. These are messengers of God who also were interested in the ministry of Christ. Though he died for men, not for angels, they were interested in what he was doing. We were talking about this in Sunday school this morning. <clears throat> they were involved in his work and they ministered to him at times. So the angels were really interested. And by the way, they're interested in salvation because angels don't get saved. <laughs> Man gets saved. And the angels look down at what Christ accomplished on the cross at Calvary. And they're interested in his work. They're interested in what he's doing. And so it says, and he was seen of angels. <clears throat> These are the messengers of God <clears throat> looking into the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus, <clears throat> then also it says... All of what Christ did was so he could be preached unto the Gentiles. Those who were without the camp could enter in through Christ, death, burial, and resurrection. I want you to see one more verse, and we'll get done with this tonight. Hebrews 13. Look at Hebrews 13 with me. Thirteen, look at verse 11. It says, for the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. For here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. By him, therefore, let us <clears throat> offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. <clears throat> what we ought to demonstrate to a lost and dying world is we're thankful to God. He said, continually offering up this praise. Now, I want you to notice something here. <clears throat> In these passages, it says, Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. He was outside the camp, not inside the camp where the safety was. He went outside the camp. Sometimes when we walk outside these doors, we're outside the camp, aren't we? And there's safety still in Christ Jesus. When you go without the camp, one of the things that people ought to hear from you is this. Let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. When things happen out there in the world that are good for you, have you been caught saying to some ungodly sinner, to unsaved man, Praise the Lord. God did that. Does the world see you as a believer praising his holy name? <laughs> Offering that up without the camp. Outside the gate, are you doing that? As I began to challenge my own heart, I began to think that Jesus is to be preached so that others will hear and believe on in the world. There's passages in Colossians that I could take you to, but part of this mystery is that Christ is present in the believer in his spirit, but we are received up into glory before many witnesses. What we have here is in Acts 1-2, he said, until the day in which he was taken up after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, he was taken up into glory. <clears throat> it was seen by the apostles. It was seen by that. So what I want you to know is the reason he was sharing this is because there were many people in that town being drawn to this dead idol, this Diana. And what he was reminding them is, is your Savior has been brought up in glory. So remember, we serve a living God who was received into glory. Amen. We're not serving a dead idol. When you go out in this community, 
There ought to be praise from our lips continually about the God that we serve. Knowing all of this, it should make us realize this. The church belongs to God. It doesn't belong to us. This is not, in a sense, our church. This is God's church, and we are part of it. Amen? God allows us to participate in this ministry. And I I began to think, knowing all of this, it should make us come to that place. God is not uh, always what people would consider culturally relevant, but we know that God is culturally relevant. Amen? And we don't have to become the world to win them to Christ. I don't have to become an alcoholic to win an alcoholic to Christ. I don't have to become a heroin addict to win a heroin addict to Christ. Amen? But what we need to maintain is that truth, that pillar and foundation of truth is what we have to hold on to. When you go out there into the world, don't be convinced by them that we're not doing the right thing. Be convinced of God that we are doing the right thing and the world doesn't want to do that which is right. And what we want to do is bring forth the truth. And so when you go out there, be aware of the spirit of your heart, your attitude, your behavior in the community. And believe me, we are a part of the church of the living God. Amen. God in Christ is not dead, folks. He's alive. Maintain a good spirit in our community. Let's pray.